This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you very much for coming to this amazing Pollock event tonight. Um, the new organization, Women in Media, has been created to focus on the growing roles for women in television, film, and the entertainment industries. Um, your moderator tonight is entertainment um, reporter, journalist, um, column and columnist for the Santa Barbara Independent, Starshine Rochelle. She is great. Um, this leading ladies panel has been put together by the sponsorship of the Film and Media Department, um, Real Loud Film Festival, Film Co-op, the Film Studio, Writer's Room, and the Carsey Wolf Center. Um, make sure to check out uh, the upcoming events in the Pollock Theater, like Star Wars The Force Awakens, with the editors, who are also women, on Sunday, May 15th. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming out. I know it's Sunday afternoon. Everybody's gearing up for Monday, but thanks for coming. Um, we're going to take questions at the end of this panel. So as you're listening, save them up, and um, when it comes time for questions, I'll let you know. And um, I'm going to go down the row here, and I want you guys to just introduce yourselves, say a little bit about yourselves. I was going to do it myself, but I thought, I'll get something wrong, and you won't, so <laughs> have you do it. Karen, how about you first? Hi, everyone. Um, I am Karen Horn. I am Senior Vice President of Programming, Talent Development, and Inclusion for NBC Entertainment and Universal Television. Uh, what that means is that my department is responsible for overseeing our efforts to increase our diversity in front of and behind the camera, and that means finding more uh, writers, actors, and directors who are women and diverse, or and or diverse, not necessarily both. Um, I also work with our development team, which is a group that develops new shows for our series, uh, for our air, and our current programming team, which is our uh, group that oversees the shows that are currently on the air. Um, just quickly before that, um, I you know I've been in this industry for um, probably. Uh, some years. <laughs> uh, I started my career at ABC in New York, um, working at ABC Sports, and then I worked at ABC Entertainment. Um, I sold a series to H uh, HBO that I produced. It was an animated series based on the comic book Spawn. Um, I worked uh, at Disney, where I ran their writer development, which is the uh, Disney Writer Fellowship Program, which is now the ABC Disney Writer Fellowship Program. I left that and created a series, um, created the Nickelodeon Writer Fellowship Program, and then I worked in animation for a few years before coming to NBC, where I am now. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, I'm Jane Espenson. I have been writing for television for 20-something years, um, and I wrote for the Joss Whedon shows Buffy and Angel and Firefly and Dollhouse, and then Battlestar Galactica and Caprica, and Gilmore Girls, uh, I wrote one episode of Game of Thrones, The O.C., a um, bunch of other stuff that didn't go so well, uh, and uh, uh, now I'm at Once Upon a Time. And I co-created a show called Husbands, um, so I've been sort of kept, I started in comedy, moved to drama, but I like to keep my oar in with comedy, which is not easy. They sort of make you pick one or the other. Hmm. So I've been very lucky to be able to do both. Interesting. Yeah. Hi, I'm Ann Kofel Saunders, and um, 
I'm a drama writer, one-hour drama writer. I've been doing it for 15 years in television. I started on 24 and went to Battlestar Galactica, Chuck, Smallville, worked on Eureka for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we, the, the five minutes after I worked Yeah, we, we've both co-written scripts without sitting in the same room with each other on two different shows. Yeah. I know, Jane and I. It's yeah. very special. <laughs> and, uh, and then after Smallville Revolution... And I sold a pilot to Fox last year, which didn't go, which was very... Um, I had a deal with 20th, and I sold a pilot to Fox. And so that was, it's always like really emotional when you do that, and you get so excited because then you can be the creator showrunner. But then it didn't go, and so that was very sad. So I'm in the middle of staffing season right now, and uh, that's what I'm doing. What's staffing season? Ugh. Well, it's, it's sort of like the draft. It's like... It's like you, like you fill your car. You have like a cooler, and I have like an extra shirt in my back window. <laughs> and then I get in my car, and I go meeting. And I'm like, hi, nice to and hi, and blah, 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 and I'm so great. And, uh, or you're just like, hey. And then you leave, and then there's the next meeting. And then, hi, and then where are you from? And you have your stories that you pull. Yes. And then two hours later, hi, and then I eat some hummus. And then, Hi. <laughs> like this week, was, I think I had 11 meetings this week, last oh week, and it's, it's banana crackers. And, and on the executive side, um, I'm probably one of the few executives that gets to staff for not only drama, but I get to staff for comedy, and then I staff for our new shows and our returning shows. Um, so I'm like, ooh, like you had 11 meetings, I probably had... 50 or so. And from the executive side of it, it's it, so really is all of our shows that are returning. If writers go to different shows or whatever, you need to replace those writers. Or if they're not asked back, you need to replace those writers. You keep your, every show has a writing staff. Mm-hmm. And staffing is getting the writers uh, and also for directors as well. But right. um, to do, we, that's when we do that. And I'm, you know, the most popular person with agents this time of year because, yeah. of course. And, and the funniest thing is when they sell me writers that I help them start their career with, I'm like, yes, I know that writer. But uh, yeah, that's what staffing <laughs> is. It's crazy. And I joke, but I just made a total joke. But actually, um, at every level, like when you get your, when, after you get an agent and you're going out for staffing season, you know, you have to have a lot of meetings just to get to a final meeting. A showrunner meeting, I don't now. But, but it took me 15 years to get to the place where you just go straight to the showrunner meeting because you're on a list. And I don't know exactly how no. those lists work. I don't know that it's a list, per se. It's, you know, it's just if you are a writer, so your background is 24, so you automatically are going to say, well, she's a person who can write action and drama and, yeah. and character at the same time so there are shows that will say okay well then we have a show that's kind of similar to that right. let's bring Anne in to meet on that show so um, let's she's yeah. known yeah mm-hmm. but if you're just starting out as a staff writer you might meet with like mm-hmm. like have quite a few meetings absolutely right to get Before. to that point mm. and the good thing to know is that once you get a meeting with a showrunner they basically like your writing yes. and it's really kind of trying to figure out if they like you because mm-hmm. The writer's room, as you guys could speak to more, is, is, is a very intimate. Uh, it's like a dinner table. And, and, mm. and, the, and the, writer, the, sh- the showrunner wants to make sure that they want you at dinner in their house, you know, and spending that much time with them. So I always refer to it as the don't forget to wear pants meeting because they like you already. They want to make sure you're not crazy. Yes. <laughs> so if, you, if, yep. if you go in there and are just like, 
crazy all over the place, they're going to say, I don't want this energy in yeah. my room. If it's a comedy, they're going to be in that room with you at 2 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to want, and they're not going to want someone who's too chill, someone who has to be prodded to respond. They're mm -hmm. going to look for, it's like an actor going on an audition. You want, you want to portray a little sense of energy, but, but not a nervous, frantic vibe. So you've got to sort of find what works for you. Mm. Um, and like, like Anne was saying, you want to have a couple funny stories to go in with. So I always talked about that I invented the name, I named Zima. You guys are too young to remember Zima. It was like beer. That's um, awesome. But, and it, but it's, sort of, it's sort of not entirely true. I worked at a naming company. I submitted a list of names. Zima was on my list. It's the Russian word for winter. We were told, pretend you're naming a vodka. It was probably on everyone's list. But it made a great story. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it was a great story. And now it's like all over the internet. It's all about the story. So like, That's like hilarious. whatever your story is, it may stick with you a very yeah. long time. <laughs> so carrying that forward, it's Sunday afternoon. Most of us are sort of gearing up psychologically for the week ahead. Um, I want you guys to tell me what, what it is that you are sort of looking forward to and dreading about your tasks ahead. What, is, what, is, what does Sunday night look like for each of you in your mind it's different for me depending on the time of year. So today, for staffing season. For staffing <laughs> season. So for me, actually, next week is a really exciting week for me because it's the week that I've told all the agents <coughs> and stuff I can't do any meetings next week because we're screening our pilots. So the um, pilots that you know we probably get on average about 300 drama pilots pitched to us, wow. um, and we probably get at NBC um, maybe twice that amount of comedy pilots pitched wow. to us. Maybe not quite, but almost. And so from those, we whittle it down to how many scripts we want to buy. So from 300, let's say for dramas, from 300 pitches where people come in and try to sell us their ideas, we probably take about 30 of those and develop them into scripts. And this year we made six dramas, I believe. So wow. next week is the week that we get to watch all of the hard work that our development team has done over the last six months or so. So it's, um, it's pilot screening week, so mm -hmm. that's what that is for me. Nice. <laughs> Juggling with my home life and that work life, and that's <laughs> kind of what that is next week. But it's also today, May 1st, is the opening of our writing program. NBC has a Writers on the Verge, so we're taking bets on how many, uh, in my department, how many submissions we get uh, wow. on it this year. Oh, so Nice. Mm -hmm. um, Jane? Well, this is, it's staffing season, but I'm on a recurring show. I'm on Once Upon a Time. And so uh, I've been picked up for another year there, so I don't have to staff. You get a pass. Um, but one thing that we do every year at Once Upon a Time is we produce a little three-minute comedy short <clears throat> that we show at Comic-Con every year that just sort of promotes what's coming up next season or, or ties up a loose end from last season. And then it goes on the DVD as an extra. And because I'm the only writer with a sitcom background, I'm always put in charge of writing and producing that. So what I will be doing tonight is looking at the rough edit of that, because tomorrow morning I have to go into the editing room and make changes to that with the mm -hmm. editor uh, to get that ready. So I'll be looking at that, at that rough cut tonight. Mm -hmm. um, and this week for me, um, I'm helping out a friend with his pilot this week. I'm helping him break his pilot for the next few weeks. What but does break his pilot mean? I just sit in a room with him and talk story and put... I, I think some of you guys in the audience were here when we broke a, we broke a pilot together cool. for fun. Um, it was really good a couple months ago. They did a great job. It was a UCSB, <laughs> Life USCSB pilot. And we had a great time. Um, but um, like that. 
Uh, but you know, you come up with story ideas, you put things on the board, you have act breaks, and it's really, it's kind of an intimate thing breaking story with someone because you're usually pulling a lot from your life experience. Mm-hmm. You inevitably tell stories that are personal. Um, that's why I really agree with what Jane said. Like, be you really want to be your best self at meetings because it's like a date. You know, you can try to be what they want you to be. (laughs) And I'm going to be what perfect for them. But that, that never works. It's the more you do, like for me, I'm just so honest in meetings because, Uh and I, you know, and they'll ask me like, what's a problem you've run into? And I'm always really forthright. What do you say? What? What do you say to that? Or like, for example, <laughs> like okay, look at me. I, um, so like, for example, on Revolution, I co-wrote five episodes the second season, and you end up usually a senior writer will often write with a lower level writer, and this person had a baby. His wife had a baby, and his script came in very, very weak. And um, he's such a great guy, and I just. You know, I just made the decision to... I gave him a ton of notes. He went away, came back, and it still was really, really weak. So I just made the decision to rewrite him. You know, um, sometimes on shows, things get really crazy. And I think if I crossed paths with my boss that week, I might have mentioned it to him. But since I didn't, I just handled it. But then... And and it all went well. And they asked me how to do And I said, great. And I just let it go. And then I think, like, a week later, some high-level writer, one of... My friends came in and said, you gave him a lot of notes. Don't give him that many notes next time. And I was so tempted to be like, dude, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. But, I, but that was a mistake because, I mean, in the moment it worked really well and the show kept going and everything was fine. But later when I had like a, because you have sort of then time to communicate with your showrunner. And I, anyway, it came out and I talked to him and he's like, you know, I would have liked to have known that. But he said, I believe that you can handle it, and I trust you. So I'm like, okay, next time. But he's like, but you did the right thing, Mm because that was crazy time. But, you know, you sort of feel your way with a showrunner. Like, Mm -hmm. how much do you want to know? And how much? And he trusts me to handle things, absolutely. But now he wants a heads up. Not so great. I got it. Right. And and then he knows I don't want him to overreact. Because sometimes you don't want your boss to get mad at somebody. Right. You know, you're trying to protect them. And you're trying to protect everybody. So I think there's a there's a Harvard Business Review article called Managing Upward that would be, I think, worth your time, <laughs> which is about like how how to relate to your boss. Mm-hmm. You know? And that I mean that's you're t- tapping into something that's really profound, which is you get promoted to showrunner based on the strength of your writing and your ideas. There is no consideration given for how well you manage Man. people. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a business in which I mean, there is no training. That's true of a lot of industries, no in right? It. Yeah, yeah. And so you, there, you have great showrunners who are great at managing people, and you have showrunners who have no training and mm. no experience in it. And um, then it's your job as the employee of that person to sort of figure out how to navigate that. And, and that's one of the things I say. I get often um, people you know, come to my office, and I ask them what they want to do, and they say, I want to be a showrunner. And I ask them that they know what that means because mm-hmm. oftentimes that's the least creative position oh, on it's staff. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, you are the CEO of this big company and right. you have to deal with the talent who doesn't like the hairdresser or craft services or, you know, the writer mm-hmm. who's not coming in and, or the studio and the, and the network. You have to deal with people calling and saying, we want to take your, 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 
top call uh, talent on your call sheet out to do a, a marketing or promo promo for us or something mm-hmm. like that. And and so the showrunner has to deal with that. And, yeah. and oftentimes it's like you don't get to get dirty with the writing because you're dealing Absolutely. with all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So. And I, and I think a lot of times people are in such a rush to become a showrunner. Mm-hmm. It's the worst mistake, I think, you know, to sell, a sh- to sell a show. First of all, if you sell a show when you don't have the experience of being on staff, someone else is going to be brought in to yes. run that show. And so mm-hmm. there, it's, it's going to be – I'll, t- I'll tell a very bad example of what – a bad example of that uh, on NBC. And this is – yeah, I know it's taped whatever. So on NBC, <laughs> uh, we, did, we did a show, and uh, the guy who uh, wrote the – we bought the script, which is very rare that you just buy a script out. And, um, uh, but he was just a co-producer level, and so we brought in a showrunner to, um, to run it with him because he didn't have – and his idea of what the show should be um, and the guy we brought in, their ideas just completely clashed. Mm-hmm. And that show exploded. It just it just did not, it wasn't successful at all. It was, you know, this guy's idea of, you know, this big <coughs> event happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the other guy's idea of let's make him more like Jack Bauer was. And that wasn't the idea of how the show should be. And it just became this real big nightmare of mm-hmm. dealing with, you know, two very different ideas of a show. And so... I think you know there's something to be said because at staff lo- writer level, which is the entry level writer level on a show, you learn something, right. and then at executive story editor, you learn something you know that you didn't know as a story editor, and you learn something as a co-producer that you didn't learn, and the things you learn along the way are really going to help you become a stronger showrunner when you get to that level, and they're really important. Right. I was really interested sitting in the green room listening to them talk about sci-fi and time travel. It was fascinating. (laughs) And it occurred to me that all all of you guys have written in sort of genres that um, I don't think think of necessarily as something that women writers, you comic books and sci-fi and things like this. Is it unusual to find women writers in sci-fi? I think it's more common Mm -hmm. than if you look back, D.C. Fontana was writing on original Star Trek. and what I, do I, do women bring anything in particular to the genres, or is that even sexist to ask? Yes, I think, it is. Uh, I think it's a great question because now I get to point out. Great, um, go. Um, I think that if we start saying you need a woman writer because you have women characters, or or your show is about has a lot of homebound scenes or whatever, <laughs> then you are you are also giving credence to the corollary which is you need men to write male characters. Mm-hmm. And if I look back at my career and you look at like Buffy and Starbuck, two amazing women characters that were written by male writers, clearly it's not true that men can only write men. Mm-hmm. That must also mean that women are not just limited to writing women. Right. And any good writer can write anything as long as they educate themselves. That's and, true. Yeah. And you know, even more than that, men versus women... I think that you also are saying that if you are of a certain ethnicity, you won't be able to write for another ethnicity, Mm -hmm. and that's a very Mm -hmm. bad and dangerous place to go to. Because I think, you know, this is what I think if you guys are writers out there, and we were talking about, one of the things we were talking about in the room as well well is, is that you can find something in your life stories that will be relevant to wherever you are. It may not be the exact same thing. So, for instance, like, you know, who on Buffy really, you know, went to these, you know, 
did the things that Buffy did. No Nobody one, does but, what Buffy does. But, <laughs> but you can find something in your own yes. story that you can bring to that character or to any character. And it's your job as writers to pull that out. So, like, a, 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 an easier example would be, like, if you, you know, someone's writing for one of our Chicago shows. And we have many of them now. But Chicago Fire, you know, if you knew someone who was a firefighter and you had conversations with them, go into a show and talk about that. Because then you can bring stories to mm-hmm. that show that someone else couldn't. So you have to find a way to make you the best person for right. that job. Right. Yeah. You hear a lot of actresses, com- just spinning off of that, you hear a lot of actresses complaining that there aren't enough um, strong car- women roles anymore, especially for women who aren't very young and sort of new parts. And you've probably heard that joke about See if you know. Read your script and see if you can replace the female character with an attractive floor lamp. Has anyone? Read that? <laughs> and if you can, you've done something very wrong in your That's script. But funny. as women writers, you know, <laughs> what, um, what, you know, what's your reaction to that when you hear when you hear that at the Oscars or at the Emmys or something? When someone's Emmys, I guess for you guys, but when you hear actresses saying, um, you know, there's just this paucity of of great roles for women, and as as women writers, what, how do you react to that? It's hard to argue with it. Yeah, there are definitely. Fewer roles. I, I always flinch a little at the, the the word "strong" and the strong women characters. You want human characters, right? Um, right strong, point. weak, wonderful, and all the various ways humans are wonderful and horrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly we need. We TV has, I think, a lot more female characters than features. I think mm-hmm. we're doing a better job of yes. that. Yes, and um, more diversity too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd, 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 you may want to look. I'd be interested to see what some stats are. I'm sure there are stats on how what the balance is. But I know there are definitely shows like Once Upon a Time where we have like a reverse Bechdel situation. If you know the Bechdel test, all right, yeah, you have, are there two women in a scene talking together? And if so, are they talking about anything other than a man? Mm-hmm. Uh, our show almost very, very rarely has two guys talking together. Like, just a scene with two guys in it. Like, mm-hmm. there have been a handful in, like, the whole run of the show. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Where our show is, is about fairy tales. Fairy tales have very strong, memorable female characters. And the male characters in fairy tales are so sparsely written. Like, there's no de- identifying characteristic to Prince Charming. Mm. Um, and I think our show has done a lot to give the guys depth when we have the guys. But it's very much a show about women. Um, so there are, I think, a lot of, there are a good number of shows out there like that that are led by women and uh, have great women characters. Um, but uh, a st- if, if you had a choice between writing a, a spec pilot uh, about women and one about men, no reason not to write it about the women and have your script maybe be a little different than the others. Interesting. And I have a question for you. You just because I want to know. I read that you did research for Twenty Four when you yeah. were you were an assistant. Yeah. Of, what What do you research and how do you find out that stuff? Because we're watching shows like that. We think like, is this real? Could this be real? Are you the one that had to go figure out if these things could possibly happen? If these things are real? Well, it was interesting because this happened pre and post nine eleven. Twenty Four was picked up, and we uh, in March. And we had this summer to be getting scripts ready. And Joel had run La Femme Nikita. Mm. And in his mind, it was going to be like that. You know, an, a story about terrorists attacking innocent people randomly is obviously a big stretch, you know. And it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. very grounded. Mm. And 
I was at the time having fun calling the CIA and the FBI and talking to bomb people. And I just love, like, and the fun thing is when you're working on a show and you're doing research as an assistant, the bigger the show, more likely you get to talk to, you know, the FBI and the mm-hmm. CIA. I mean, I talked to spies. I talked to bomb experts. Wow. And then I'd get nervous when they weren't available. Where's the bomb guy? He's like, and, and things would happen. And they told me things. I'm like, really? And they're like, oh, yeah, 95. The, the, you know, Chechnyan rebels put a dirty bomb underneath Red Square, and they didn't detonate it. They just wanted to show everybody that they could, and they were serious. And that never went public. And I knew it. You know, it was exciting. <laughs> wow. um, but then everything change my showrunner kind of sort of half ignored all my little research reports you know I was also their assistant you know it's a television isn't there's a couple ways to get in you can create a show you can be writing a lot of original work and and create a show or you can work your way up and I enjoyed working my way up it was sometimes very tough but I have always felt very prepared for the next level I've hit I've always been sort of chomping at the book to go upwards mm. as opposed to like I wonder what that job is like once you've been yeah. on the phone on every call that the showrunner's been on 24, you kind of have a better idea what their job is like when you follow them around all the time, you know? And that's so valuable and useful. But as soon as 9-11 happened, um, everything changed on the show because all of a sudden, it was the nation's awareness about terrorism went through the roof. And so all of a sudden, everybody knew everything. And all of a sudden, the showrunner stopped at my desk, and where'd all that stuff go? And I'm glad I had done it because now I couldn't get the FBI on the phone. Now the CIA was busy. You know, they were all very busy. But it, it, it's an, it, that show had a, like, t- hit the zeitgeist at the right time, which was really beneficial for the show. And, um, but there was challenges because we had to not just pull a scene where a plane exploded. We had to really look and thread the needle and make sure that all the research we'd done up to that point lined up with what the public all knew about the caves in Afghanistan and the who knew about these caves and you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. nobody knew yeah. at the time until it nine eleven and then everything culturally changed in our country and it was right. very transformative. So interesting. And, and they're doing a new twenty four on yes. Fox. I'm yes. promoting another network, but <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are. It's just but it's I gotta have pick soft up. space in my heart for this kind of thing. They gotta pick up last week. Yeah. Which means yeah. Do you want to, I don't know, you can talk about what a pickup means. Oh, so a pickup is, um, so the pilots that we talked about, um, and this is great for that show because it's an early pickup. Yeah. So, um, uh, so all the pilots, once you watch them, then the people who get paid a lot more money than I do go and decide um, whether or not they're going to bring those shows into series, pick them up to go into series uh, so that you'll watch them uh, whenever they premiere fall or mid-season. And, uh, and, and that process is a crazy process because um, when I worked at ABC, I used to work for the president of ABC Entertainment, and I got to sit in those scheduling meetings, and it's a lot of craziness. It's, you know, because you all think that it's, oh, because it's the best show, but not always. It's because Warner Brothers is saying, you know, if you pick up this show that's going into its fifth year, we will get money for syndication where we start making our money. So don't do this new pilot that you all love because we're not going to make any money off of that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of times there's a lot of, you know, not just Warner Brothers for the record, anybody, you right. know, I'm just saying, being taped. Um, but um, but uh, <laughs> uh, 
Um, but it's uh, so those decisions, and then you have internally, you have your scheduling people saying, "Well, we have no place to put this on our schedule." Or you have what's called affiliate relations, which is the department that uh, works with all the different stations that you own in okay. throughout the country, saying, "Well, in Oklahoma, we'll never be able to air that, and mm-hmm. it'll ruin our ten o'clock, our eleven o'clock news." So you can't put that on our air or, or anything like that. So it's all those different things that go into determining if a show ever gets <clears throat> on the air. Mm-hmm. And so for this show to well it's got a legacy which is in its title as well but um for this show to have been picked up before the high before these announcements where we announce the schedules is, is a great thing so yeah and my whole life will change i mean the other thing that's happening for me next week which i didn't get a chance to say is it's probably late next week or the week after is that you start getting offers if you're fortunate if you get lucky you start getting offers and like, for example, the 24 showrunner has a list of his first, second, third choices probably for every level. Mm-hmm. And they, the first offers go out on the high-level, most in-demand person, and you just work your way down. And, and they're picking whatever writers they want right now, mm-hmm. Star and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. 24 Legacy. And so there's, uh, there's always this game of, like, I remember on Chuck, it's like you, you, when I was on Chuck, like you want to get pick up as early as possible so yeah. you can get first chance. Yeah. Or first chance. Yeah. First shot at the people you think <laughs> mm-hmm. are the best fit for your show. Mm-hmm. Because what can happen is if, if you're announced, I don't know, CW announces later in the week. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a challenge sometimes because, oh my gosh, every person I was going to hire is wiped out. Probably mm-hmm. not the lower levels, but all upper levels are wiped out. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a huge challenge mm-hmm. to try to staff your yeah. show, you know. One more thing on that. That means anyone who met on one of those shows that gets an early pickup but really wanted to hold out for a different show now is stuck because they have an offer in their hand. And this is what we call champagne problems. First world problems. Everyone should be that lucky. Everyone should be that lucky. (laughs) Good problems to have. (laughs) But but it is an issue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because if if you want, you have a lot of things to balance as you consider which job to take. So at one point in my career, I had to choose between Buffy and Mad About You. Mm. And so it was like the eighth year of a really successful network sitcom um, that would have really advanced me in comedy or a total jump to drama on a show on a much smaller network, much smaller salary. Uh, And I took the Buffy. A lot of people would have taken the Mad About You, but at least I had the choice and I could decide which, which direction to steer my career. If, you, if, if the timing doesn't work out so you get to make the choice, your career can start going like this and you can't correct the course. All it's, else being equal, Jane, do you prefer comedy to drama or vice versa? Uh, I love writing comedy more than anything, but I don't like writing on a comedy because of the way comedies are, uh, the way your life is when you're on a comedy. How's that? Um, comedies are written in the room. Mm. So the writer's room isn't just for breaking story, as, as Anne talked about breaking, which is just you know, discussing what the beats of the story are. That's all you do in the drama room, pretty much. In a comedy room, you do that, but most of your time is spent going line by line through the script, pitching jokes. So you're actually shouting out jokes in a room full of people till four in the morning. Um, that you work very, very long hours, and, and it's a much more performative claustrophobic, stage frighty kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not thrive in that, in that situation. I didn't thrive in comedy until we, I met a showrunner who ran it very differently, a um, more, more, little more like a drama. Um, and then I, I switched to drama. Who so thrives? I, what kind of person thrives in that situation? Stand-up comedians. Stand-up comics, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They do great. Well, or just yeah. if you have that stand-up comic mm-hmm. personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interesting. Someone yeah. who can think 
Think Fast Under Pressure and with a lot of other voices in their ears. I sort of need quiet. Yeah. Um, and, and can and, and were funny as your first impulse. Yeah. Um, Tough skin also because yes. you get you get yes. shot down a lot. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Hence yeah. the stand up comic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. So wow. it, it, but it if you can do comedy, it's the harder it's the harder thing to do. Yeah. So it's, um, and it's comedy is so subjective. Yeah. So if you're comedy writers, also I would say if you're you are a comedy writer, I don't know, I don't know if this group is largely writers, but if you are comedy writers, um, and you have a meeting, you should be funny in the meeting because yes. it, it sounds silly, but like there's sometimes uh, I've gotten meetings with comedy writers, and I'm just like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, gotta be funny in the room. So. Well, that makes yeah. me think of another question: um, most embarrassing moment in a meeting. Who has a story for that? Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys know who Diane English is? She created uh-huh. Murphy Brown uh-huh. and a bunch of stuff. She was the big. She was the Shonda Rhimes of the day, and I was. I had, it was like on, I'd been on two shows. I was very low-ranked comedy writer, had hardly done anything, and my agent called and said, uh, Diane English is a fan of yours, and she wants you to come in for a meeting on a new, a new comedy. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm floored. I went in. She comes, like, running out of the back room and embraces me and says, oh, my God, Jane, it's so good to see you again. <gasps> and I had to say, that's awesome. You're awesome. We've never met. <laughs> And she was so thrown and so embarrassed um, that she had whatever mistaken identity had happened oh my that it just, just, it was just, oh, that was, that's it was, brutal. That was, that was bad. <laughs> Bruce, that's so brutal. Yeah. Dude, nobody's fault, but just, <laughs> oh, it was just a bad, bad my, moment. My most embarrassing moment was on Revolution season one. Um, uh, Eric Kripke, a very dear friend of mine, hired me pregnant, which is it completely endures you forever to a person. <laughs> when you're like, I'm pregnant, and they're like, you so? And you're like, yeah! <laughs> anyway, so I was very pregnant, and I was producing episode four, and it was really cool. There was a lot of like wild dog attacks. It was very edgy and cool and fun. And it was the production meeting time, and I was wearing, like, I was very pregnant, had my flowered blouse. You know, I was all like, ha, ha, ha. You know, I'm sweet, and I'm nice. I sit down, and it's Skyping for the meeting, and and hi, and da 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 da. And uh, I'm, I'm chatting with them, and I'm like, gosh, they need to get going. I was about to be like, and they're like, so when will Anne be here? And I was like, oh, oh wow, that's me. And they were like, whoa. And I could tell they, they did not think that I was the person who was supposed to be running this meeting, like at all. <laughs> like, at all. Like, I was just being sort of bubbly and friendly, and I wasn't trying to act like the boss. I, because I don't know, like, you don't... Is that the network did that? No, no, no. Okay. The, no, no. it was on NBC, I was like... <laughs> no, the production meeting. So okay. that's the meeting with the director. Right. And um, the heads of all heads. the departments. <laughs> and um, these are people who... I, you're about to run the script, right. so you go through and, you know, and they're <laughs> like, how many dogs do you want, Anne? What color? What kind? Right. How right. tall? How right. big? <laughs> you know, every little thing. And, and so it was... I, I was embarrassed. <laughs> I remember that episode. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I killed Maggie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Thank you. So, as a woman, I think it's um, worth thinking about how you're framing yourself. Mm. Now, it didn't really matter on that show at all that I was pregnant and dressed in flowered outfit because you're already empowered. Right. You know, 
they just needed to catch on to the fact that this really friendly person was the person. <laughs> but a lot of you know guys will come into that meeting and be like, "All right, let's go," you know. Right. And I think it's worth thinking about as a woman how. And one thing I wanted to be sure to say is that one of the biggest challenges that I see for up and coming women writers in particular, but uh, just to speak to up and coming women writers, is it's hard to find a mentor. Because often you're being mentored by 40 or 50-something guys, and you can't be hmm. like, hey, let's go get like, like, like a drink after. <laughs> you know, this person has mm-hmm. a kid and a life and a family and a dog and a cat, and they're older, and sometimes it, it's odd to try to mentor a woman. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think always think about making yourself mentorable. You know, like present yourself in a really professional way and... Give always give people opportunity. Can I meet you in your office? Can I come by and get an informational? Can I like make yourself um, mentorable? Um, How important is a mentor? Is it crucial? Do you need a mentor to break to what do, you think? do this work? I don't think it's crucial. I don't think anything. I think there's there's a million different ways into this business. There's a million different ways. As there many as there are people, ways that you will advance yourself in this business. I don't think it's necessary. It's nice. I feel like um, I've had office friends on a lot of the shows I've been on. Um, sometimes, um, you know, I feel like, like Joss, did Joss mentor me? Not really, not really a lot of one-on-ones, no real career advice, but over the years, sort of more, because now I feel free to send him an email and go, like, I have a choice to make or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's nice. I think it's helpful, um, but not crucial. You can, if, you, if that just isn't how you groove, do it your own way. I think my feeling is in the room, once you're staffed on a show, it really behooves you, especially on a network show, not so much in cable because the rooms are like four, five, six people, Mm -hmm. but on a network show where you've got 11 people in a room, it's going to be hard for you to speak up. Mm. It's going to be hard for you to know when to say and what to say and how to say it because it's like these high-level people just keep bouncing back and forth. You're like, ah, and ah. You know, you have a list of things you prepared and... You have to listen, and it's like, when can I go? Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you develop a relationship with a co-executive producer and you pre-pitch, like before or at lunch or after, float yeah. some things, then that person will do something like, oh, Susie has a good idea, or Bill had, no, yeah. pitch, pitch that thing. Can, that is definitely help you. And you spend a lot of time with people. You tend to eat lunch in the same room. You're there before work at the same time. So there's a lot of time to just go to someone's office and say, I had a thought, I had a thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so yeah, be be friendly. Don't be the one who's like, uh, oh, I you know I meet my boyfriend every day for lunch, and so I won't be in the room with you guys. Now be there in the room. <laughs> like, yeah. And what about before that? What about breaking in? What about advice for, for starting from here? You know there are uh, a ton of writing programs, and yeah. I think that I mean Jane started. In the Disney, yeah, the the ABC Disney Disney Writing Fellowship, which is an awesome one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the best one now is at NBC. (laughs) 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 Um, And honestly, I think, you know, I've taken things from when I ran the ABC Disney Mm -hmm. program and when I did the Nickelodeon and melded them all into kind of what you need and what you don't need at at NBC. But but I think any exposure you can get is good exposure. So um, if you are writing, if you are writers, the most important thing to do is to write, is to continue to write, to know this industry. Just like if you were studying medicine, you would know the medical industry. And we were talking about this earlier. I actually believe that if you don't know a lot about the industry, it's 
a disservice to you, and it's a waste of our time. Well, you we were um, specifically talking about content. You yes. don't know what shows are out there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't have to be, you don't have to watch everything, but you should know what's out there. There's, you know, you should look at Deadline, Hollywood, you should look at The Wrap, um, you know, just to follow what's getting picked up and what's on the air or what's being sold or whatever. Um, and it also would be very helpful because it'll tell you where the where the industry is trending towards because we are very much an industry that follows certain trends or um, we like to say we set them but we kind of follow them as well <laughs> so so like you could see if there's a lot of shows in the same type of what the same tone being picked up then that's something that maybe you should have a spec that's going to fit these tones of these shows that are being picked up um, so so different programs like these are really important you know and really great ways to get started in the industry um, because if you think that they can improve your writing, you're wrong because they can absolutely improve your writing. But beyond that, they'll give you exposure that you would not have had mm -hmm. before. The writers in my program um, are not only exposed to the executives and the showrunners at NBC, but the people at ABC know them, the people at CBS know them, the HBO people, the Warner Brothers people. We all know each other's talent. Mm. Um, and we all support each other's talent. So those are really great programs to be into. And then also network. Um, there's Don't write in a bubble if you're writers because then you're just journalists, <laughs> you know, you're, or you're, you're just journaling, not journalists. No, I don't no. mean that, sorry. <laughs> you're, <not journalers>. <laughs> <laughs> you're just journaling. <laughs> just don't, don't write in a bubble. You have to show other people your work. You have to know how to get feedback on your work. Writing for television is really a mu as much about the feedback you get as mm -hmm. about what you're, you're putting out. So you need to be able to um, learn how to take notes. You should be learning how to give notes, like mm -hmm. give your best material away sometimes because that'll come back to you. It's that karma thing. It'll come back to you. And uh, and just really, once you're out there, network a lot because that's mm -hmm. really important. It's, it is it is a lot about who you know that's going to help you and help you in the industry. And I wanted to say something about mentors and stuff. Like I probably mentor a lot of people either through my writing program or uh, someone who was on the panel uh, just before me, Mia, is a grad student at UCLA that I mentor in her writing efforts. And, and you know, I think it's really important because it's hard to get in. It, even though there are a ton of platforms and there's ton, there are a ton of, you know, more opportunities, you would think it's really hard to get in, in this industry. Um, so uh, whenever I can, I try to mentor someone. Look, yeah, you look for writing groups, mm -hmm. either an informal one that you form with people from your class. There's a group called Script Writers Network down in L.A. That's a lot of people who are aspiring, gives you people to bounce your work off. And like you were saying, don't be afraid of your stuff getting stolen. Mm -hmm. the, the one way you know a show will never get made is if you never show it to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, a good writer knows you don't just have one good idea. You have hundreds. So it's better to put it out there and run some infinitesimal risk that some executive, some wily executive is going to see it and yeah. steal it. Yeah. Um, very unlikely to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and much better to have that happen than to have all these gold scripts that could make you a fabulous career that you never showed anyone. So well, don't be worried about that. And one that. thing I always say is that good ideas don't make good shows. Good showrunners make good shows. Mm -hmm. That's very smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so no one's going to steal your good idea because it's not going to make them a good show. And it won't be your idea. And it will be, it'll be, they'll make it into their idea. Exactly. And there's a window of opportunity right now to break in, actually, because yeah. every time you watch Deadline, and it'll say, pick up, the word pickups, and it'll say the show name. And you look, and there's a studio whether it be Sony or 20th or ABC Studios, and then there's a network, NBC, ABC, CW, whatever it is. And 
it used to be, I don't know if it's still the case, where you can call the main number for Fox and ask for a show. You can say, can I speak to 24 Legacy, please? And they will bump you to the production coordinator. And then you could, and we have hired people who've done this, just said, hey, is it possible for me to, could I please email you my resume? I'm looking for a job. I'll do anything. I'll work like a dog. I'm a student, and I'm graduating, and I'm just really willing to try hard. And because we need script PAs, you know, they need, there's a million different lower level jobs to fill and just really track what those pickups are because, you know, until they get a pickup, they can't really hire. And if you can manage to get your (coughs) resume in there, then, and if you can, you can ask the production coordinator for someone called the APOC, assistant production coordinator. But if you say APOC, you'll sound cool. (laughs) Be like, can I please speak to the APOC? What's this regarding? I want, I'm looking for a, a PA job. Just say that. Any, that. any PA job, just get in. You know, get there, yeah. work hard, you know? <laughs> yeah, so. because, yeah, because suppose you're hired as the post PA. Now you're running um, discs around or whatever they do yep. now. Uh, that's not what you want to do, but now you're friends with the writer's PA. When that writer's PA becomes a writer's assistant, you become the writer's PA. And when they get hired as a writer, you become the writer's assistant. And that's a great way to work your way up. And you can do that simultaneously with applying to all the programs. You don't have to pick one path or the other. You can do them both. And, you know, as you start out, this is what I would say to you is is that you never probably, like, I think one thing this college does is great is it it teaches you critical thinking. And because, like, I was a broadcasting major, and when I went to school, I wanted to be uh, a broadcaster named Barbara Walters. How many of you guys know she is? Barbara's still around. She's still around. (laughs) Um, And I started my career at ABC my senior year of college, and I got to meet Barbara Walters. And and I said to her, you're the reason why I study broadcasting. I want to be you. And and she said, she was very gracious. And she was like, There's so, you're the reason why I'm still doing this. Please continue. You are going to be great. But then I stood at the line, I looked back at the line of people waiting to meet Barbara Walters. And I looked at the line of people waiting to meet her boss. And his line was much longer. And I was like, what does he do? And why do more people want to meet him? Because she's Barbara Walters. And, um, and then I, that's when I learned about like the offices that I now sit in. And, and you know what college sometimes don't do is teach you that there's a business to this business as well. You know there are people who make the decisions about the shows or about the writers, and you know are, are very involved in those things. And they, you know, these it's fun. It's fun and it's hard and it's competitive. But that's when you learn about the different things. And and I think that one thing, each of my jobs along the way help me be better at what I'm doing today. And I don't know that I knew that going in, you know, after I stopped, you know, wanting to be Barbara Walters, I got a job at ABC Sports and thought I would live my life working at ABC Sports until my boss got promoted and moved me out to Los Angeles to work in ABC Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I learned about this industry. So I think if you if you keep your eyes open and know that there are different areas, and this is a huge industry with many, mm-hmm. many different things and ways to go that you'll you'll be open and you'll learn so much more along the way that will ultimately take you to where you need to be. And I thought another thought. Uh, we talked about two different paths to get in. The, you, the programs, work your way up. There's a third path, which is create your own content. So the one person I can say I've genuinely really mentored was Brad Bell, who created content online. It was on YouTube. I saw it. This kid's great. Find he's on Twitter. We become friends. And then he says, I've got a great idea for a half-hour comedy. It's what network TV is going to be doing in five years, but nobody's doing it yet. And we co-created the show Husbands that 
ran online for a number of years. Um, uh, uh, tiny bits of content. It takes very, very long to make very little content when you're doing it all yourself. But sort of gave him a hand up in the business uh, and uh, found him all because he put himself out there. And there's sort of no barrier to being a creator right now, there's, as long as you're willing to be unpaid. Right. There's a, there's a great example of that. A, more, a recent example of that, there's a series called Awkward Black Girl. Yes, and, yes. Uh, yeah, and she, you know, look, you guys all have phones. There's no reason not to have your own content. And executives yeah. are lazy. We're tired of reading things. So if you <laughs> say to me, like, here's something you can watch, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm going to watch that first, and then I'm going to read all of this afterwards. <laughs> right. And, um, and I'm, um, I was on a panel with her. I'm skipping her name, but she went to Stanford. And it, anyway, she did this series called Awkward Black yeah. Girl that HBO is now producing with Larry Wilmore as the executive awesome. producer. Mm. So, so there are... There are things that you can do, um, and there are there are divisions at at, at um, agencies that are just devoted to watching what's online and seeing your material out there. So yeah. there are people watching if you put it out there, even if it's see. you talking to camera. If it mm-hmm. is really sharp and well written, that's what Brad was. Brad was just mm-hmm. him talking in front of a background, and it was it was mm-hmm. brilliant and funny, and made me want to reach out. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. well, our time's up, so I want to thank you guys so much for all your thank great. You You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.